Well, we are going to continue. Uh, obviously, we've been in First Kings, and uh, that's where we're going to stick with today. Um, and so, uh, I would encourage you, if you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to start in about First Kings chapter five, uh, chapter nineteen, verse five, um, and then we'll, we'll. There we go. And then we'll uh, we'll kind of be working through uh, a good part of that chapter. Um, but as you guys, as you guys know, we've been talking about, um, especially last week, right? We get to this place um, where Elijah has just, man, he is just kind of at the end of his rope. Um, he has hit um, rock bottom. He has said that he's just ready to give it up. Um, he's like, he gets to a point in in the first part of this chapter where he's just like, man, I'm done. It's enough, God. Just take my life away from me. I can't. I can't can't carry this anymore. Um, and so last week we talked about how uh, the voices of people sometimes are louder than the voices of God, uh, or the truth of God. Um, and we talked about how dark emotions uh, a lot of times are are louder than the truth. And uh, we walked away last week talking about hope. And that's really where we pick up today is that um, God doesn't leave Elijah in the midst of this. And I think, that's, uh, I think that's important for us to realize, for all of us, is God doesn't leave us in the midst of a hopeless, helpless condition. Um, he's right there in the mix of it all with us. And so today, I really want us to, kind of our main theme, the main kind of word of encouragement we're going to come around is this phrase, and if you, if you hang around bedrock long enough, you're going to hear it time and time again. Uh, and it's the phrase, uh, where you stand determines what you see. Where you stand determines what you see. And, and that phrase is really a, a phrase of perception, right? It's a perceptive phrase, right? So, so, so wherever I'm standing at uh, in life, in the middle of a situation, in a relationship, is going to determine how I see that situation play out, right? Perception is such a huge part of the things that we think and the things that we believe. You guys... I mean, you guys would agree with that, right? Um, like, just our perception. It's like you can have two people sitting at a park, and they can watch the very exact same thing happen, right? And, and based on their perception, where they're sitting in the park, um, what experience they have, what they're coming from, they're going to tell two very different stories about that situation, about that story, about what happened at the park, um, and, 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 and it's the same with our lives, right? As we go through things in our lives, as we go through hard times and good times and, and situations that happen in our life, so many of those have to do with our perception of that situation, right? So many of those, so many of the ways that we respond and we react to uh, the events of life is based on our perception, right? We know this, right? But, but to just kind of further drive that ahead, I want you guys to... To watch this video, and I want to say before you, if you've seen this before, do not tell your neighbor what, what's happening, okay? Uh, I want you just to watch the video, to follow the instructions, and then I want to see how many of you guys were able to do what they said. Uh, Chris, will you grab the lights? Um, is the video, we don't care about where the video is from. Um, here's what we care about though, right? Perception matters, right? Perception matters. How many of you guys, how many of you guys saw, how many, was anybody who didn't see the gorilla? Or did you guys all? Okay. Um, somebody ruined the video for me before I saw it. So, like, the whole time I was trying not to look for the gorilla, and uh, I, I saw it every time. Um, right? But, but they actually show, so it's kind of funny. Um, 
the, the place that we uh, got this video from uh, in Bedford County before uh, teenagers get their driver's license, uh, the judge shows them this video uh, as a reminder of to always be aware of your surroundings and, and your perception, how many things that we miss, right? Um, but I think that really helps illustrate this idea of perception. Chris, if you don't mind grabbing the lights again, I think that's the last video we have. Um, right? Our perception plays so much into the way that we view life and the situations that we experience in life. Um, and, and even how we see God show up in the midst of those. Right? Um, and so today, we, we really kind of have two main thoughts from the text that we're going to be uh, diving into. And, and the first is this is that often our plans and perspectives reflect our peaks and valleys. Often our plans, the things that we decide that we're going to do, uh, that we're going to um, decide to, 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 to make in our life, to the directions that we're going to go in our life, are based on those peaks and valleys, are based on those hurts and those high moments, right? Those, those times that everything's really great or things that, times that things are really bad. Our perspective on life and our plans in life really reflect that, right? Uh, or to put it another way, we're very reactional people, aren't we? Um, we react to just what life throws at us, and that in turn becomes our perspective. Um, and we're going to see this illustrated out in Elijah's life. So what I would like to do, I want to just read our text today uh, all through the whole, the whole thing, and then I want us to come back, um, and we're going we're gonna to kind of break down each one of these parts um, of perspective. So we're going to start in verse 5 today. Uh, it's First Kings 19, starting in verse 5. <clears throat> and it says this. And he, speaking of Elijah, laid down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked and beheld, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the voice of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant and thrown down your altar and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind tore the mountain and broke in pieces the rock before the Lord. The Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord. The God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenants and thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Haziel to be king of Syria. And Jehu, the 
the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, um, of Abelmelon, you shall anoint to be the prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Haziel shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Let's just pray one more time. God, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. God, I thank you that your word is just enough. God, if we just walked away right now, after just having read your word, God, that would be enough for us, God. But I pray as we, as we take the next few minutes and we just endeavor to, to dive deeply into your word, God, to, to pull the truths out from your word, God, I pray we would... Um, God, we would do it well. God, I pray your spirit would would move in us today. Um, God, and at the end of the day, God, we would just be closer uh, and more connected with you than ever before. God, we love you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's just pause for a minute and let's just look at, at, at first I want us to look at Elijah's perspective, right? Because um, I think Elijah here represents uh, for us a lot of times um, how our perspective can be skewed in a situation. Right, based on our based on our circumstances, based on our peaks and valleys, that can affect our perspective on a situation. Now, now think about this for a minute. Elijah, right? He had just been through some pretty high mountaintops, right? We talked about that last week. We kind of summarized some of the mountaintops that he had been through. Um, kind of the culmination of that was seeing God send fire down from heaven and consume this altar and the sacrifice, right? But for all of those, recently he had also experienced quite a few valley moments, right? Uh, the queen, Jezebel, had, had threatened to take his life, to kill him. And, and last week we discussed how Elijah started to believe that lie, uh, to believe that threat. And, and he, he ran, right? He ran all the way across to the southern tip of Judah to get away from the queen. And so here in this text, we see that Elijah's response to God very much looks like his current situation. It very much looks like the valley that he's in the midst of. Elijah's plans and perspectives were, were based on what I believe are some half-truths he started to believe over really what the Word of God had told him, right? And, and specifically, if we look at verse 10, we get Elijah's response. Um, and commentators, really, they kind of go back and forth um, as, to, as to what's happening in this moment. Um, as far as is this, as far as what Elijah says, um, but I think Elijah has really started to, to just believe some some things that aren't true, um, and because of his situation, because of his perspective, he's starting to respond to God in these ways. Um, and so, in verse nine, let me back up a little bit. In verse nine, I think God asks a really good question of Elijah. He says, "What are you doing here, Elijah?" Right? And I think that's a good question. That's a perspective question, isn't it? I think sometimes we would be wise in our lives to ask that question. Like, what am I really doing here? Right? Like, we do a lot of things in life. Uh, our lives are probably busier than in, in, in the history of humanity. We are probably busier than we've ever been. But to really ask the question, what am I really doing here? Right? Those deep perspective questions. And I think that's what God is asking Elijah. Elijah, what, what are you doing here? Like, you ran away. You've... You, you ran away from the queen, and, and now you're just running. What, what are you doing here? And Elijah starts to explain and, and really even complain a little bit, I think, about his circumstances, right? Now, I think we have to admit that what Elijah says, a lot of that is true, 
right? He, he bases it on some experiences that he's had. So I don't want to take that away from Elijah. I don't want to paint Elijah as just this bad guy who gets it wrong every time because I think we are just like Elijah so many times, right? But I think what he does is he starts to believe some half-truths, right? There's another truth in there, but then there's a bit on it. And I think that's, that's for us a lot of times, especially in our Christian walk, that's where we get off. That's where we get off paces. We start to believe some, some half-truths. And so I just want to introduce a few of these um, that I've seen from the text. Uh, the first one, we find this in verse 10. Actually, all three of these are in verse 10. Is that I start to notice a little flare of self-righteousness happening, right? And self-righteousness happens when we start to compare ourselves to others, right? So look at verse 10. What does Elijah do first of all? He said, I have been very zealous or very jealous, depending on your translation, for the Lord. Now, was that true? Absolutely, right? Elijah was very jealous, right? But then he goes a step further and he he compares himself, though. He says, "But but the people of Israel, they have forsaken your covenants and thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword, right? And and we're going to stop right there, right? Is that true? Had his people forsaken him? Absolutely, but I think the problem is when he started to do the comparison, I get a little air here that Elijah's starting to believe, man, I got it. why am I going through this? Because I've been very jealous for you. I followed you wholeheartedly, but yet the people of Israel, right, they haven't followed you at all. And I think sometimes there's that tendency sometimes in our lives to compare ourselves to other people and their situations. It's that kind of comparison game, right? And that, that can, man, that can just destroy our perspective. Right, it's like um, it's like the, the typical situation. It's like, um, and uh, I see it with my kids all the time. I just started thinking about this, but it's like if if one of my kids gets uh, I don't know something, a piece of candy or something, right? And they're like, oh, they're so excited about that piece of candy, right? And they're just like on top of the world until they see their brother or sister get another piece of candy that's different, and now they care nothing about the piece they had, and they only want what their brother had, right? It's that it's that comparison game sometimes we start to believe some half truths right and and sometimes that in our lives can allow us to to maybe prop ourselves up a little bit more in our thinking certainly jesus addressed this um in the gospels uh if you guys remember in luke 18 there was this moment where jesus gives this story um and there's this there's this tax collector in the story right um and then there's this uh religious scribe i believe the pharisee that was in the story right and they both went to the temple to pray and, and the Pharisee, um, he was standing there and he prayed a prayer like this, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, right? And he goes on to explain these horrible people, even like this tax collector. And he goes on to talk about all the great things that he does, right? But then we get the, the picture of the tax collector and he just says, God, have mercy on me for I'm a sinner. I think sometimes in, in our life, um, we, can, we can think more highly of ourselves, as, as Paul says in Romans 12, we can think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. Right? When we start to compare ourselves and our situations with other people. Um, I think of that. I think of, I think of the moment um, in, uh, in the Gospels. I was just thinking about this, right? Where is it, is it Peter, right? That's in the Gospel and he's talking about John and he's talking about the death that, or Jesus is talking about the death that um, John is going to have. And Jesus is like, what's that to you? Right? What if, what if he never even dies? What's that to you? I think for us, it's so easy sometimes to, to get into that comparison game with others. Um, and we can really, really set ourselves up, mess our perspective up. Um, I, see, I think the second half-truth in there that we see a little bit in, in Elijah's response is maybe this idea of self-importance, right? And this happens when you exaggerate how important you are. Look, look what Elijah says. 
he says, uh, he says, I, even I, uh, even I only am left here, right? It's this idea that I'm the only one left here representing God, right? But w- what we found out earlier is that there's a hundred prophets somewhere else. Right, that he that 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 has been hidden away. They're still following the Lord. We're going to find out later on in this passage that there's still seven thousand other people. Right, and I think because of his circumstances, um, Elijah is 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 putting himself in this place where maybe he's he's so isolated and so alone that he's he's maybe being more thinking more highly of himself maybe than he really is. Now, was was Elijah important? Absolutely. Right, God used him in some powerful ways. Right. But I think sometimes our, our perspective sometimes can allow us to, to, to prop ourselves up a little bit more than we need to. It's kind of interesting here that you would think if Elijah really thought he was the only prophet left, right? You, it seems kind, of, seems kind of counterintuitive to me at least that, that he was asking to die, right? Like if he was the only one left, right, would you really be praying that God would take your life? Or would you be praying that God would extend your life if you were the only witness left? But yet, sometimes that we can kind of get to the place of, of despair. But then I think most importantly, the, the, um, the biggest half-truth that he starts to believe is, is this idea of self-pity, right? Um, and that's really what I read as I read his response is it's, God, man, I am going through this moment and, man, everybody is against me, right? He says at the end of verse 10, he says, they seek my life to take it away, right? I think the truth is that was it all of Israel that was seeking his life? No. Who was it? It's really just one. Maybe, you know, I mean, she was very powerful, right? But it was really just Jezebel that was seeking his life. And I think sometimes, and I know this to be true for me in my life, right? When I'm going through a, through a valley moment, right, it's really easy for me to sit in that moment and just have a little pity party, right? I mean, I think about the, I think about the story of Jonah, right? After God, like, does this miraculous thing in Jonah's life, he... He really saves his life by sending this, this fish to swallow him and spits him back out. And then, and then what happens in the story? God sends a little plant up, right, to cover him. And, and then Jonah, what? He sits there and he's mad because the plant dies. He doesn't care about the people. He's just having a little pity party because his little favorite plant died. Um, and I, and I kind of read that a little bit here in Elijah, uh, a whole lot of echoes of, of that as well. And I think, um, I think for us a lot of times, um, because of our circumstances and our situations, it's very easy for us to, to move into a place of, of pity. And, and self-pity really happens when we start to exaggerate our problems, right? And this isn't to say that there aren't real problems in life. Certainly Elijah had experienced some problems. Certainly he had gone through some hard times, right? But I think what, what was happening for Elijah was he was allowing his problems to drive his responses to everything else, right? He was allowing his circumstances um, and his situation to drive everything else that he was experiencing and going through. Um, and I think we do this a lot of times. Also, I think it's interesting in the text that even after God shows up, we're going to talk about that in just a minute, but God shows up in a really cool way to Elijah again, right? Um, he shows up to Elijah, but even after God shows up to Elijah again, Elijah gives the same exact response to God. Do you notice that when we were reading through that? It's almost like there's, he just echoed what he said before. Almost like Elijah just didn't get it quite yet. And I think that happens to us sometimes. Like sometimes we continue to give God the same lame excuses over and over again, right? We, we, our, our perspective is, is off and we just continue to, God calls us to do something or he, or he reminds us of something. Or maybe he just says, you know what, 
I love you in the midst of your valley that you're going through. And we, kept give, we keep giving God these same responses, these same excuses. We almost have our minds made up about how we're going to respond before we say it. In fact, um, a lot of you guys know who A.W. Tozer is. He's, he's one of my favorite writers. Um, I love a lot of what he says. Um, but he has this quote. And I want you guys to, to get into a group for just a minute and discuss this uh, quote real quick. He says, most Christians don't hear God's voice because they've already decided uh, we aren't going to do what he says. Right? Right? A lot of times we miss what God's saying to us and what he's going to say because that's, that's where we're going. Right? God's about to, to speak to Elijah. And I think a lot of times we miss what God's going to say because we've already made up our minds, right? We've already decided that our circumstances and our situations are too big for God to handle or that we're too low or things are too bad. And so we've already made our mind up of what, how we're going to respond. So if you guys want to, get in a couple of groups. Um, we probably have enough to do maybe three groups this morning um, and, and talk about that, that quote. Um, I think it's right on. I think it misses a little bit. Uh, let's talk about that for a minute, and we'll come back together. What do we do then in these moments, right? When our when our when our situation, our perspective, right, just gets locked on to to those peaks and valley moments of our life. What do we what do we do? Uh, how do we live that out? And and I heard somebody. I heard one of our uh, pastors from our church in Reno. He said this phrase. I never heard it before, but I really like it. He said, "Watch your pronouns." Right, watch your pronouns, and I was like, "What are you talking about? I'm not an English major, and Holly's not here today, so we're in trouble." Um, but what he means by that is, when when you look at your language and the things that you say, how much is it revolving around you? Right? If we go and look at what Elijah says, right? How much of it is revolving around Elijah? I have been very jealous for you, and then this comparison thing, and even I am the only one left, and they seek my life. And Elijah wasn't completely wrong in some of the stuff he was going through. It was very hard things that he was walking through in life. And I think, I think the scripture is very clear that God wants us to bring those things to him. But one of the things I love is that if you read through like, like the Psalms, and so many places in the Psalms and other places, uh, they will talk about the problems that they have, the things that are going on. But it's somewhere in that, in that, in that Psalm, right, there's a switch in the voice. And they, and, they, and they change from talking about themselves to about what God is going to do in that situation. And I think that is really helpful for us when we get in the midst of these situations and these perspectives. I think God wants us, and we're going to see here in just a minute, God is so gracious to Elijah. God wants Elijah to bring his hurts and his hang-ups and all these things to him. But I think it, it's so easy for us to get caught on us. And so sometimes it, there needs us to be less eyes and more gods, right? Um, I came across Psalm 73 um, this week. I don't know if you guys have ever read Psalm 73. Uh, it's uh, written by a guy named Asaph. Um, and, and I just kind of cut it up because it's a pretty long psalm. Um, but he makes a transition in here that I think is really cool. Um, so he starts out um, by addressing God. He says, Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had also stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant. When I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Does that sound a little bit like Elijah, right? Like, man, I've been jealous for you, God, but you're Israel, they've just kind of forsaken you, right? And he goes on and he talks about the prosperity and the struggle that he has in that. But then in verse 16, he says this. This is the transition. He said, but when I thought how to understand this, right, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Sometimes when we try to, try to figure things out ourselves, it can just be too much for us to carry, I love verse 17, though. This is the hinge that changes everything. This is the perspective change. Until I went into the sanctuary of God. 
then I discern their end, right? There's something about getting the focus off of me and entering into the presence of God that changes everything for us, right? And truly, I, I don't think that we can have a perspective change unless we enter into the sanctuary of God, into the presence of God. And then we look at verse 27. Look, look at how much his voice has changed in this. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. He's not even talking about himself. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you, but for me it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. I love that transition in that, right? And I think there is a place for us to go to God and present our, our hurts and our hangups and our problems, just like, just like we talked about last week. God is big enough to handle those. He wants us as his children to come to him in those, right? But I think we have to be careful when we just dwell there. We just stay in that place where it's all about us and our hang-ups, right? And we never, we never enter into the presence of God and allow him to change that. And so the second kind of big idea I want us to talk about, the second point I want us to talk about, uh, we, we talked about our perspective and plans, but I also want us to realize that God's plans and perspectives are above our peaks and valleys, right? God's plans that he has for us and the perspective he wants us to have go above whatever peak, whatever valley it is that we're going through. And we're really going to see this in three different ways in Elijah's life. God's going to remind him of, of some perspective things in three distinct, unique ways here. And the first way is that God reminds him with bread in the wilderness. This is verse 5 through 8, right? Remember, Elijah had, had, had went to uh, Beersheba, and then he'd went another day into the wilderness, Right? And this is where we pick up in verse 5. And, and so he's laying down, and the angel says, Arise and eat. And he looked up, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. Right? God is reminding Elijah of his faithfulness. God's first response to Elijah, when Elijah said, I just, God, I'm just done. I'm just ready to check out. Right? God sends this angel. It says, eat. God fed him. Right? I think this is a reminder probably to Elijah of how God had provided for him in the past, right? God had sent a, a raven to feed him in the wilderness. God had provided for him through a widow. And now God was providing for him through an angel. And I think it's just this constant reminder to Elijah that I'm still with you. I still love you. I'm still taking care of you. I still got you no matter what you're going through. And this must have been some incredible bread that God made for him. Because we find out in the story that this, this meal that he ate sustained him for 40 days and 40 nights as he journeyed to, to this mountain, right? It's kind of interesting as we look at the journey to this mountain, um, what we know is, is, is from where he was at in Beersheba wilderness to Mount Horeb, um, it was about a 200-mile journey. And as, as we've seen already, I mean, Elijah is a runner. Dude can cover some distance, Right? And so what commentators tell us is that this journey should have really taken him about the quarter, about a quarter of the time that it took him. It took him 40 days and 40 nights to get there. And I don't think that was, I don't think that was by happenstance. I think that was intentional. I think that was another reminder. Right? What else comes to our mind when we think about 40 days and 40 nights? Okay, so there's the, the flood, okay, where God preserved Noah. That very good. What else? Jesus. Jesus in the wilderness, 40 days, right? So this is like a precursor to that. Also, maybe uh, in, a, in a microcosm, a picture of Moses and the Israelites wandering around for 40 days or 40 years uh, in the desert. And I think, again, this is just a reminder. I haven't forgotten about you, Elijah. Right? 
I want you to learn some stuff. I'm still going to provide for you. I think it's a beautiful picture that God didn't require immediate recovery from Elijah, right? But he was so graceful in giving him that time to adjust his perspective. He gave him time, and he met his needs. He met his spiritual needs, right? Uh, I think that was part of the picture of, of sending an angel, which is the spiritual encouragement that Elijah needed. Um, you know, Elijah was, was spiritually, I think he was just, what we talked about last week, he was just drained, I think just by God sending him this angel was just this encouragement to him, this spiritual God. I haven't, Elijah, I haven't forgot. I'm not forgotten about you. I still love you. It reminds me of, reminds me of Jesus' words in Matthew 11, right, where he says, "Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Not just physical rest, but probably more than that, spiritual rest for those of us that battle in this life with those things." Reminds me of, as Paul writes in Romans 8, right, where he tells us for those that are in Christ Jesus, there's now no condemnation, right? When we're in the family of Christ, there's no condemnation. So he, Elijah experienced some, some, some spiritual rest, I think, in this. I think God also gave him some physical rest, right? We see in this passage that he slept twice and he ate. This was a good thing. Just physically, God was giving him some, some rest from all that he had had going on. Um, I love I love how Charles Spurgeon uh, as he com- as he writes in his commentary on this, on Elijah's life he says this he says the spirit needs to be fed the body needs feeding also do not forget these matters it may seem to some people that I ought not to mention such small things as food and rest but these may be the very first elements in really helping a poor depressed servant of God right it's just really practical stuff man the Bible's loaded with this stuff. I think it, it reminds me a little bit. I heard a commentator um, that, this week that was was tying this back to that point. You guys remember, like in the Gospels, uh, after Peter had denied Jesus, right? And Jesus, after after the crucifixion, the resurrection, um, he Jesus meets for forty days. He's he's walking around meeting with people, and there's this moment, uh, and this is in uh, John twenty one. Uh, Jesus uh, he meets up with his disciples, and it was morning time. And what, what does he do? You guys remember what he's doing? He's hanging out there and he's doing something. Does anybody remember? He's cooking some fish, right? And then there's the first step of restoring Peter. He, he has breakfast with him. He cooks him some of these fish and he feeds him. And then he goes and he encourages Peter and restores Peter back. Physical rest is a good thing. And I think even he even the idea of this, this angel coming, I think uh, was even a picture maybe a little bit of, of God sending some some companionship, some encouragement to Elijah. Remember, he had left his servant, so he was alone. I think it was God just reminding him again, you know what, you, you may feel like you're alone, but you're never really alone. And I think the application, the, the picture of this that, that is, is so important is that God is patient with grace and tender with compassion, right? Like for those of us that have walked through life and those of us that have missed the mark and those that, has, that have just been beat up by life, Right? We can all probably stand here and tell testimonies of times that God has been patient with his grace and tender with his compassion. And I think this picture of, of Elijah being in the wilderness was just a picture of that. We're going to go through hard things in life. But isn't it wonderful that we serve a God who is patient in grace and tender in compassion? And so we get to this point right, where, where God tells Elijah to go and to, to go meet him over on this mountain. Right? And he's going to see God. So let's take just, this is going to be like a one minute discussion question. Um, but given what we know so far of how God has shown up, 
how might you expect him to show up to Elijah next? Okay, so let's take like a minute, talk about that, and then we're going to see how he actually does that. So what did y'all, what did y'all discuss quickly? Like, had you not read past this point in the story, I know we already did that. Um, so you already, it's like, it's kind of like in the, in the video with the gorilla, like once you already knew the gorilla was in there, you can't not see it. Um, but, but given what we had seen so far in Elijah's life, how might you expect God to show up? Some like epically proportional. Yeah, man. Like the last time God showed up in Elijah's life, it was, it was fire or maybe it was, we were talking to our group ending of this three and a half year drought. I mean, this just dramatic moment, right? This, uh, this, uh, if a lot of you guys have seen the, the old Charleston Heston, um, movie, you know, like this big epic voice of God just kind of shaking the mountains, right? But that's not what happens. God reminds him of who he is. He reminds Elijah of who he is from a voice on the mountain, but it's not the voice that we might expect. It's interesting as we look at Mount Horeb, this is also uh, in the Bible. Sometimes they will use the different names for the same place. So this is Mount Sinai, right? So this is an epic mountain, right? What happened on Mount Sinai? Moses saw God's face. Commandments and Moses saw God's face, right? So, so, so the law, right? The, the actual, this is how I want my people to live was given on this mountain. And Moses actually saw the, the presence of God, right? He, he experienced the presence of God. Um, and just like I think the bread was, was a reminder of his past provisions, Elijah now needed to also see some of God's power. He needed to actually interact with that. It's interesting that the text tells us, uh, this is in verse 9, that he goes into a cave. And the Hebrew word there actually has a definite article in front of it. So it's actually like the cave. So a lot of commentators think that this maybe have even been the same cleft that, that Moses was hidden when, when the presence of God passed by him. Like this was an epic moment, right? And he goes in there, and we were all expecting for this kind of just like Shekinah glory moment, you know, can't see anything blinded by the light kind of moment. But yet God doesn't reveal himself to Elijah in that way, this, this time. It's interesting, though, uh, at the end of verse 9, though, um, or in the, the, uh, the middle way through verse 9, we get the phrase, the word of the Lord came to him again. We, we see a return. Up until the story so far, it's just been Elijah doing all of these things, right? And now for the first time again, we see the word of the Lord came to Elijah and he, and he tells Elijah, or ask Elijah, what are you doing here? Right, again, it goes back to that perspective question. And Elijah gives the excuse, right? And then God tells him to do what? He says, go outside. I want you to stand outside of this cave because I, I want you to experience something. I think Elijah, Elijah needed to experience something. I think theology is good. I think it's good for us to be educated and to know the Word of God. I think it's important for us to know what the Word of God says and how we can divide that and understand that. But I think there's also moments in our life, too, that we just we need some experience, too. I think that's where Elijah was. I think in his head, he knew everything about God. He had been telling people about God. He had been the voice piece of God. But now he needed some experience with God. And so he goes out, and it's very interesting, the experience that he has, right? Because um, all of the ways we would expect God to show up, he doesn't, right? And so he goes out, and there's this terrible wind. It says that it just, like, destroys the mountain. And then there's an earthquake. And then there's even fire. Obviously, obviously a picture back of what happened on Mount Carmel, right? But yet God wasn't in all of those. 
But the end of verse 12, after all these things happen, and after the fire, he said the sound of a low whisper. God showed up in the sound of a low whisper. Right? And I think that's significant because I think sometimes, especially when we're in those valley moments, I think that's how God shows up sometimes, a lot of times in our lives. Right? Like, like I don't know about you, but I've, I've never really experienced God in one of those earthquake, fire, wind moments, windstorm moments. But I've experienced God a few, few times in my life in that quiet voice in my life. You guys been there before? Um, Bill Hybels, he says, he says this. He says, throughout history, God has spoken. For millennia, he has forged his children's faith by promising parted waters, empowering unlikely leaders, declaring world-changing prophecies, and imparting last-minute sermons to pastors who question whether he really would deliver or not. In short, our God is a communicating God. Always has been, always will be. But yet, I think sometimes we, we expect God to show up in these loud, extravagant ways. Sometimes God just shows up in a whisper, right? It's that still, small voice that he's speaking to us in. And I think sometimes we can miss that. It reminds me of uh, a story I heard. There was this, uh, this, this young guy, and, and he, was just, he was frustrated. He had just lost his job, and he couldn't understand why. Um, some of you guys have been there before. You know exactly what that feeling is. And this guy was just, he was just upset. He was angry. He couldn't understand why God was allowing this to happen. And so he, he goes to his pastor, this old, old minister. And he goes and he talks to his pastor. And he said, Pastor, why would God allow this to happen to me? And the pastor's sitting, sitting across the, the, the road from him. And he says, he says, the young guy said, I'm sorry, what'd you say? He comes over a little bit closer and he said, says, I'm sorry, and he gets right in front of his face, right? And this old pastor, he says, God hasn't forgotten about you. He's just speaking really softly because he wants you to come in and experience his presence. And I think that sometimes that's, that's why God speaks in the ways he does, right? He wants that intimate, close, personal connection with us. He speaks in a whisper so that we draw into him and we draw close to him. Often God works quietly through his written word and his spirit in our hearts. I can tell you of all the times that I've heard God the most, the most, hands down, has been when I've been in his word. Right? The most has been when I've been reading through his word and God has spoken to me somehow through his word and the spirit inside of me has resonated with his word and that's spoken something to me. Hands down, right? It's not this loud, extravagant moment, but it's in the quiet, the whisper sometimes. And I think sometimes we, we kind of count those out and we miss what God has to say. In Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6, says this, Then he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. You guys remember this when we were studying Ezra? Right? We referenced the same, same time frame. Not by might nor power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Or in Jesus says in, in John six sixty three, It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. I think sometimes it's God speaks to us through his spirit indwelling us, right? As believers, as New Testament believers, we have the spirit of God living in us. And so it's not through these loud words, it's not through these big extravagant moments, but sometimes it's in the quiet of life. And that's why it's so important for us to be paying attention, right? I think how many times in my life I've probably missed something God was saying to me, right? Because of the noise of people or just my busyness or my distraction, right? 
Because I think so many times God speaks to us in a still, quiet voice. And so let me just encourage you today, right? As you're, as you're devoting yourself to the Word of God and as the Spirit is, is speaking to you within your heart, right? To listen, to listen up, to listen well, because God is speaking to us today. And I think that's the same reminder He was giving to Elijah. But then third, I think God also reminds him with a picture, a vision for the future, right? And this is really what I think Elijah needed. I think Elijah was so stuck in the moment that he just needed something to do. He needed the next thing that God was calling him to do. And I think for for Christians, a lot of times, um, that's what we need, right? We get so stuck, like like if, if we're not currently experiencing that thing God wants us to do, and we're not currently working toward that, it's really easy for us then to just focus on our little problems and issues and, and our own little life and things that are going on. Uh, one guy said it this way. He said, spiritual depression is hard to shake. It, it, it's, a 24, it's not a 24-hour virus. Getting over it takes more than a pastor saying, take two Bible verses and call me in the morning. <laughs> right? I, I love that. But, because sometimes what we need is we need a mission. Sometimes when we get into a valley moment, we need God to say, hey, I, want you, I need you to do this next thing. Right? We need something to put our life and our energy toward. And even though Elijah gets it wrong, right? even though, as we see in verse 14, Elijah just kind of repeats the same lame excuse, I think one of the important things is that Elijah keeps the dialogue going, though. He doesn't just stop talking to God. Even though, even though he gets it wrong, his perspective's off, he continues that conversation. I think that's just important uh, for, for those of us that have ever experienced that moment of feeling like giving up. I think sometimes the best thing we can do is just keep talking right? Just keep talking to God. He's going to show up. We just got to keep talking. But Elijah needed something to do. And so God gives him an assignment, right? And he tells him that he's going to appoint these people, Haziel, Jehu, and Elisha, right? And I think what, what he's reminding Elijah of in this moment is that the ultimate victory over Baal and all of the, this false God is not going to come through Elijah. It's going to come through the next generation. It's not going to be him, but he's going to be a part of that, but ultimately the thing that he had hoped for, right? We talked about last week, one of the reasons that he was so depressed and so down was because he had hoped that Israel would have this revival moment. They would turn back to God. And God's telling him right here, this is going to happen. It's not going to happen through you, but I'm going to use you to raise these people up. They're, we're going to raise the next generation up. And through Jehu, he would replace this wicked king and queen. Elisha would be the friend that Elijah needed. Uh, and would ultimately do greater things even than Elijah did. He would be the greater, even the greater prophet in a lot of ways. I think Elijah's assignment here was not just to fight well in the present, but to also prepare well for the future. I don't know about you, but I know in my life a lot of times I get so stuck on the present that I don't think about what is that spiritual legacy that I'm leaving, right? God's called me to a mission and a purpose, but that mission and purpose should also include other people, Right? I think sometimes we can even get into a place where, where we only think about ourselves and we don't think about maybe who God is calling us to raise up, to pour into, right? It's exactly what Jesus did, right? Think about, I mean, he spent all of his time and, and, and all of his all that he did, right, was invested in these 11 guys that would ultimately take his mission and take it to the world, right? Um, and I think for us, it's, it's wise for us to think about that mission and that future that God's calling us to as well. And so I think in, in kind of concluding today as, we, as we've seen through Elijah, I want to 
I want to remind us of one other thing in this in this story, and this comes in verse 18. This comes in verse 18. He says this. Um, God is reminding Elijah, and he, after he tells him that he's going to raise up these other people that ultimately uh, we'll see that will ultimately overcome this, this, this worship of Baal. He says, Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. I think he's just reminding Elijah here that, you know what? It's not over. There's things that are still happening, right? Um, these 7,000 were probably not at Carmel, right? Um, they, but these were, probably, these were probably ones that had seen the faithfulness of Elijah. They weren't just wooed by a moment, but they saw the faithfulness of Elijah's life. And God was just reminding Elijah, I think, as he reminds us, that ultimately he has this, Right? And so as we think about our perspective, as we think about, as we think about the plans that we make, um, and I think it's important that we, that we work toward those. I think it's important that we have plans and our perspectives are toward God. But ultimately, it needs to rest in the fact that God is going to do what God's going to do. He's a sovereign God, and he loves us. He's got a plan for this world and for each one of us, right? And ultimately, our hope's not going to rest in what we can do, but ultimately in what God is going to do. And I think that's, uh, I think that's that that encouragement that we need to, to think about. Um, I want to kind of leave us with, with this. Uh, I love this quote that I heard um, uh, a while back from Tim Keller. And he says this. He said, if we knew exactly what God knows, we would ask for what he gives us. And I love that perspective, right? I think a lot of times we struggle not because of how God responds, but because of our perspective on how God responds. And I think, uh, I think what, this, what this quote reminds us is that if we knew everything that God knew, Right, we would ask for exactly what He gives us. He is a good, gracious, loving Father, who who pours out His blessings on us. And where we struggle sometimes is that we see it through our perspective, and our perspective is not in line with His. So the encouragement today is as we as we think through this passage, we think about how God showed up to Elijah as He, as he interacted and encouraged Elijah, and even even in our lives how he is speaking to us is just to be reminded that a lot of times the things that we see, we see through our lens. And I would just challenge us today to try to see those through, through, through God's lens, right? What's God doing in this moment? Even in those valley moments, right? Even those low moments that I, I just don't understand why I'm going through what I'm going through. To ask the question, I wonder what God's doing in this moment. I wonder what beautiful thing that God is going to bring out of these ashes in this moment. All right? So let's pray, and then we're going we're gonna to close in, in one more song. God, we thank you for today. Um, God, I thank you so much for your word. And um, God, this, this story, this peculiar little story in, in the book of Elijah. God, how you worked and moved in his life, in Elijah's life. And knowing, God, that you still work and move in our lives. God, no matter what we go through, no matter uh, the challenges that we face in, in this life, God, to know that, God, you're still there. God, sometimes you show up in a, God, in a, in a windstorm. Sometimes you show up in an earthquake. Sometimes you show up in a fire, God. But sometimes you just show up in a still, small voice in our life. And God, I, just, I thank you for those small voice moments. God, I pray that we would be in tune to those. pray that we would have perspective to see those, God, when you're speaking to us. And so, God, as we, as we walk out of here today, pray we would walk out as people that are, are looking at life, not through our situations, God, but, but ultimately through what you're doing, God, because ultimately you are our hope, 
You are our strong tower. You are our refuge. You are the one that we run to. God, and you are ultimately the one that's in control of everything that happens. So we love you and we praise you for that. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.